Hi everyone. With the decision on Monday 28th of May that eradication of Mycoplasma bovis would be attempted, cattle farming in New Zealand's breaking new ground, both here and abroad. Um, things have certainly changed from, from what, the way we've known it. So while less than 1% of the total cattle in New Zealand may be culled and probably less than 1% of the herds will be infected, this affects everyone who farms cattle. And while there'll be a lot of attention and a lot of support around the, the infected properties or the at-risk properties, everyone who farms cattle has a, a role to play in eradication. So today's podcast is targeted at those who aren't yet dealing directly with MPI. We want to talk about how you as cattle farmers can play your part. How do you keep your cattle and your farm free from MBOVIS until it's gone from the country? So to dis- discuss this, and answer as many questions as we can, and to outline uh, where the answers are if people are looking for them. I'm joined by Ashley Dobson and Paul McCauley, and I'll go through each of them in turn about their role in this this whole um, issue and uh, how they came to be in their roles. So Ashley, welcome along. What's your role and uh, how did you end up in, in this position, so to speak? Well, cool, thank you. Um, I came to New Zealand in 2009 um, and worked as a veterinarian at Atado Vets Limited in Western Southland. Um, So for about nine years, give or take, um, and was approached by um, Dairy NZ to get involved with the mycoplasma bovis situation to try and help with farmer information around the disease and also general biosecurity. Um, And the role ended up um, morphing into a a co-funded position. So I'm actually co-funded by Beef and Lamb and Dairy NZ. Um, And yeah, the role is is around trying to give um, farmers the information they need. So that's where I'm at. They have a formal position title, or what's that? Well, technically, I'm a developer. Okay. Yep. Yep. So developing that's tools, nice. pretty much. Yeah, that's nice and ambiguous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And for a number of you listening, you'll probably know the name Paul McCauley. But Paul, what's your role now, and how do you end up in it? Um, so I've I've come in as the biosecurity liaison for Beef and Lamb New Zealand, and that's primary as a point of contact for farmers who have queries uh, around MBOVIS and perhaps who are also looking um, to be linked up with other resources to help them. My history is through um, Beef and Lamb New Zealand have, have worked for them for the last 10 odd years um, as an extension specialist more than anything else um, in the last decade and the history goes back to sheep, beef and deer farming is where my roots are. Alright, so two point people for dairy and, and for beef and lamb. And as we go through this, this podcast, as usual, a lot will be a question and answer. We've got questions that we've been asked. We've got frequently asked questions on our website. We're going to work through some of the key ones on those. But um, let's, let's cut to the chase and um, the pair of you can decide who gets to answer this or, or we'll both chip in. Let's say I'm a, a cattle farmer. Um, I want to protect my herd. I haven't heard from MPI as far as I know I'm uninfected. I want to do my bit. What, what are the things I should be doing? Uh- First up, I would be saying keep calm and carry on. Um, This is a significant issue for the industry, but what cattle farmers need to do is not particularly complex in order to keep their businesses safe. Um, It is really about good management practices around biosecurity, Mm -hmm. and this is around making sure that if uh, items or animals are coming onto your farm, you know the providence of them, the health history, and you know the right questions to ask to ensure that you're not bringing something onto your property that you don't want. 
and the other side of it is actually the physical barriers making sure that you keep your herd separate from animals of unknown providence. Mm -hmm. That's a simple starting off point for a cattle farmer. Cool. And as we go through the call, we're going to build on those and then expand on them a wee bit more. But Ashley, anything you want to add to that? Um, I agree with Paul. I think that there's a significant amount of um, of stress and worry at the moment. And um, while it's important that we take this seriously, I do also think that um, for the vast majority of people, there's nothing to be frightened of. Um, and that if we practice... Um, good farming practice, good biosecurity practice, then everyone should should get through, well, not everyone, but most of us should come through relatively unscathed. Mm-hmm. So look, just to reinforce about this disease, it's it's it doesn't magically fly through the air, it's not airborne, I mean, it, 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 she's got pretty consistent, well-known routes of transmission, it's, how's, yeah. it, how's it moved from farm to farm? Yeah, so essentially it's a bacterial disease um, and it's um, a mycoplasma, which is a type of bacteria that doesn't have um, a cell wall. And so um, essentially that makes it quite fragile in the environment. Um, It also means that, like you said, it's not an an airborne thing and um, it is maintained in um, infected animals that's the source of it um, so generally speaking it's going to be um, direct contact um, within the same paddock within the same yard system of cattle so it, it's not going to fly through the air um, from paddock to paddock and while there is some you know evidence of it um, being on surfaces that are contaminated with say um, mucus and and fluid saliva um, from the nose and mouth of cattle um, it actually doesn't survive that well on those surfaces particularly if it's sunny and windy Um, it just can't withstand those those types of conditions Um, there's also some confusion about soil Um, we definitely can't say that um, soil is an absolute no risk Um, essentially that's part of why there's a 60-day stand-down period between um, groups of cattle Um, that is so that there is absolutely nothing left Um, there's no risk of of it remaining Um, but that being said we also don't want people panicking thinking that um, agricultural contractors have been spreading the disease around because while there is um, a very good value in having clean on clean off policies for a variety of things um, people don't need to be in a huge panic that Mbovis is being spread by by tractors and and farm equipment um, from farm to farm. Mm. I could probably sum that up quite clearly in my own mind. I find I, I look at this disease as it's it's very hard to treat and hard to detect inside the animal, mm-hmm. but once it's outside the animal, it is actually relatively simple to to eradicate mm-hmm. it. Yep. So look. Um, not getting into the ins and outs of the system, but tracing movements, the NATE system is the key to eradicating this disease from New Zealand. Yeah, because the disease is associated with individual animals, we need to know where those animals are, where they've been. Um, and so it's just of utmost importance that um, the animals, that cattle have their NATE tags and that movements are recorded. Um, and that way, um, 
all of that movement can be detected so that we can give eradication the best crack that we can. And despite the sort of the publicised um, shortcomings of Nate that's sort of been tossed around in the media, at the end of the day, if we didn't have Nate, we would have been goosed already. Mm-hmm. So um, it just highlights the importance of everybody that's involved in Nate, including farmers at both ends of a transaction, doing their own piece, but also insisting that the other side of the transaction is completed fully as well. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting, and we're going to dig a bit more into that again as, as we go through. We're just setting the scene a wee bit here, but... Um, recording is what people can do, but there's, there's, there is no treatment for this disease. I mean, and actually, this might be one for you. You talked about it. It's not a very uh, robust thing. It dies either. So why can't we treat it in animals? Well, the honest answer to that is that there are actually some treatments mm-hmm. available that are used overseas. So the reason it's difficult to treat and it's difficult to vaccinate for is for the same reason that it's um, easy to kill it outside of the animal, and that has to do with the cell wall. So a lot of the antibiotics that we use um, actually act on the cell wall, and when you've got a bacteria that doesn't have a cell wall, um, it makes it quite difficult to, to actually kill it. There are um, other antibiotics that um, that don't rely on that and that can be used. But the important thing that people need to realize is that we do have a problem with antibiotic resistance developing worldwide. And for that reason, there's a lot of antibiotics that actually we do not want to be using in animals. And when it's so difficult to actually tell if an animal is infected, um, then it comes to a question of, well, how do I know that I even need to treat this animal? Um, And so you could potentially have overuse of of antibiotics that um, is actually not benefiting the animal um, and potentially is um, allowing resistance to develop. So the courses of treatments that are... um, sort of outlined overseas are are quite long relatively speaking so you're talking 10 to 14 days of an antibiotic treatment um one of the ones that lists that's listed is called draxin um again that is a reasonably heavy duty antibiotic and it's not one that that we necessarily want everybody using a lot of so um i don't think that um treatment is is really it shouldn't be viewed as um, something that's going to be actually that useful overall Mm -hmm. the other side of that is actually identifying animals that are infected or have the disease as I understand it Um, why is testing so um, requires repeated tests I mean testing isn't simple in the case Mm -hmm. of the and why is that yeah well I think that and not surprisingly, and you can't blame them, farmers do want to be able to test because a lot of them say, you know, my animals don't have this disease, I'm not under any restrictions, I'm not, um, I haven't been talked to by MPI, but my business is being negatively affected because people are worried about Mbovis and why can't I test my animals to say, you know, my animals are negative. And there's a lot of, of stuff behind the answer to that question. So essentially because um, a large proportion of infected animals actually don't show any clinical signs, you can't know that that they're infected or not infected. And then the other side of that is that they're not necessarily shedding the bacteria. Um, 
as well. So if you've got a sick animal, a sick with M. bovis, that animal is, is going to be shedding the bacteria. Um, but you, you've got other animals that are infected and they, they won't be shedding. So mm -hmm. the question is, what are you testing for? Um, if you're testing for the individual bacteria, then you've got to get the right sample, which can be quite difficult to get. So for example, um, trying to swab the back of the throat, um, you'd have to do that multiple times if you were looking for negative results so that you could have good confidence in them. Mm -hmm. So um, you'd actually be talking about potentially, you know, sedating large groups of animals mm. and, you know, spending a whole day swabbing the backs of throats yep. and doing that multiple times. It just is not practical. And so for a lot of farmers that, that you know, say, why can't I just test? I would say, actually, looking at your your biosecurity and your animal movements and your farm as a whole, that is going to be a lot less aggravation, mm. a lot less expensive, and also will give you better information than a test that you have to keep repeating um, in order to say each time, okay, I'm more and more confident that these animals are truly negative. Yeah, so look, what we're sort of doing here is setting the scene, but we're also... Um carefully I guess ruling out things that people keep raising why can't we do X why can't we do Y and, and narrowing it down to the things we can do that we are confident and one of the other ones that comes up is and you sort of touched on it there about animals that may be infected and not shedding um, animals can be infected with bovis. we don't see the clinical signs a lot of the time um, but so that's an issue but if what are the clinical signs people are out there looking at their cattle and as a fail safe do everything else but they may get infected what are they going to see if they have sick animals so i think that um as we are you know moving through the winter um if you're out in your paddock and you're looking at cows um mastitis or um swollen joints really painful um polyarthritis which is arthritis of multiple joints that would be the thing that you'd see in in your um cattle out um on, on their paddocks or their crop at this time of year and really the risk period for that is right at drying off because of the stress that's associated with that time period and then again at calving time. So in adult cattle or, or cows that are calving the main thing that we're going to be worried about is mastitis and the, one of the main issues that occurs um, worldwide when people have an outbreak of mycoplasma mastitis is that people don't realize what's happening and they don't catch it quick enough. And because, you know, you put a set of cups on a cow, you milk her, um, potentially the next six or eight cows are exposed to any pathogens that are in that set of cups. It is really easy mm -hmm. to spread it. Um, and so people might just think, oh, it's just regular mastitis, and they just start, you know, giving them intramammary treatments. And then over time, you know, over a couple of weeks, they might realize that actually this is something different. So what we really need is for people to be vigilant about, um, about mastitis in their, in their cows um, and um, not let it get away on them, not let the horse bolt. Um, the other side will be calves. Um, because pneumonia is sort of a something that um, mycoplasma can 
um, cause. The pneumonia is quite often in, in young animals, and so it won't be as much of a problem once, for example, you've got calves outside, but if you are rearing calves in sheds when they're still quite young, um, because of lots of different things, that is when they're in close proximity, they're inside, um, might be a bit dusty, all of those things that, that tend to be risk factors for pneumonia will be present and you may end up seeing coughing among calves um, and if that's another sign it is coughing and signs of pneumonia. Mm-hmm. And, oh. so, and if you're looking at it from an extensive cattle farming mm. point of view as well, you know, a, a lot more difficult because you don't actually see the animals and put your hands on them every yep. day but perhaps on the hill you'd be looking for things like cattle that are reluctant to move, perhaps not moving mm-hmm. around as much. Calves could be doing poorly because mum may have mastitis or the calf itself mm-hmm. may be infected. So you'd probably be looking for unusual rates of that and that should be a bit of a warning sign that you need to pay yep. closer attention and run them in and have a look. Mm. So obviously, you know, we're sort of, um, when the disease was, was first picked up, um, we're, we're coming up really to the first uh, calving since then on beef herds at least with um, beef finishing animals though I mean have we and I don't know whether you can answer this one have we seen clinical signs of embovis in uh, beef herds that have been infected not not in New Zealand for Mm. sure and in general I guess it depends because embovis is definitely seen overseas when they finish cattle in feedlots Mm Um, again, proximity, lots of other things, but I don't think we would see um, that much of it here. And again, it would be poor growth rates, coughing, um, and potentially swollen joints, which, as Paul indicated, would be animals that are really reluctant to move. But I don't think it's something that um, that we would be seeing a lot of touch wood. Yeah, it's just, again, going through sort of ruling things out that can't be easily tested for, it can't be easily treated for, and there's a good chance that um, farmers aren't going to see a lot of clinical sign or obvious clinical signs, certainly in extensive beef systems. So, I mean, it ultimately comes down to, um, we keep coming back to good record keeping and being able to trace these things. So with the the Nate system, which has, has worked, hasn't worked, I don't know whether you guys can talk about what have been... I guess what do we want farmers to address better? Where is the system broken down, or where if it been where the system has not worked as well as we wanted it to? If we're talking about people wanting to protect themselves in the future, what are the things they want to make sure they get right? It was interesting. We shared a stand at Waimumu field days with uh, Osprey, mm-hmm. and farmers were coming up there, and we were discussing Nate, and there was some criticism to Nate about it being difficult to use, but fundamentally. The problem was the fact that people at one or other end of the, the um, transaction weren't mm-hmm. completing it properly. So it's getting to the stage of if you can't do date Nate properly, you do actually need to ring up and they're very happy to help you both get loaded up onto the system, talk you through how to actually do those movements yourself. And if you can't do them this yourself, they'll do them for you. Mm-hmm. So um, look, Nate is king in this, it really is. Mm. Mm. I think to... Um you know, there's lots of talk about the legislative side of Nate and basically, you know, forcing people to comply. I think that the other side of that is, um, as farmers, realizing that commercial drive is also a big thing. And so, you know, if we've got people that are attempting to um, 
make a quick buck and sell cheap calves that don't have tags in their ears, well, don't buy them. Mm. So don't be somebody that tries to sell them. Don't be somebody that tries to buy them. If you're purchasing calves or animals, demand that they have got um, Nate tags in their ears and make clear your expectation about about records um, because ultimately something that might seem like a good deal could end up being very costly in the long run. Mm. And Nate is actually just going through a review at the moment too to actually upgrade the system and make it a lot more uh, effective and user friendly as well. So they're actually calling for farmer input into the submissions right now. So from a farmer's perspective, if you don't like something, make sure you get in and let them know. Mm. I just want to pick up on something you touched on there, Paul, too, that imperfect doesn't necessarily mean ineffective in terms of one of the classics that people talk about is, you know, they sent 100 animals and 99 were recorded or 101 on Nate. I mean, ultimately, I think for this disease, that's not the issue. It's we want to know any cattle from A to B. Yeah, if the number isn't perfect, it's not the issue. It's at least we know of the movement. Yep. The, yeah, it is actually tracking that movement. There was an interesting slide that Nate put up in one of the presentations, and it was actually the movements of one animal in its lifetime and there was something like 16 properties that that animal had been on from mm-hmm. from birth to, to to slaughter. So it was actually crucial that we knew all of those waypoints on that, that animal's life in order to be able to look at those farms that had touched base well. Okay. All right. We might come back to this, and I'm sorry if the announcement in the background is coming over the top of this. I've never heard such a long announcement in an airport. We're in a meeting room in Dunedin Airport, <laughs> but hopefully you'll still pick this up. All right. I, did, I was going to come onto it later, but you've mentioned it there, Ashley, about um, feeding animals on raw milk or milk powder uh, type things. Um, milk powder, completely safe? Is the bottom line? Yes. Yep. Yeah. And so then the options were with raw milk, and people have been looking at pasteurisation machines, which don't look practical. I think it depends on the individual. Mm. You know, generally speaking, um, I think that if you were year-round calving or um, that sort of a thing, or you had a, a year-round need for a pasteurisation machine, then it could potentially be practical. But because a lot of what we do in New Zealand is seasonal. Um, it would be another expensive piece of equipment mm. that would sit there for you know eight months out of the year not doing anything. Um, I would suspect that market drive is going to make them more available mm-hmm. over the next couple of years, but at the moment they are quite expensive. So that's why, um, yeah, acidification of milk is sort of it's sort of coming to the fore as the most economical option um, aside from feeding milk powder mm-hmm. at this stage. So there's some information in one of the fact sheets out there, certainly on the Beef and Lamb website, about acidification, but in a nutshell, is it practical on farm? How do you do it? Um, The suggestion at the moment is that what you would do is um, you're going to add a citric acid solution to to the milk. The specific how-tos of that um, are currently being worked out actually by Fonterra and Dairy NZ. There's a sort of practical work being done on a calf rearing operation at the moment just to make sure because this is a process that's used worldwide Um, it wouldn't be a first 
you know, in the world to be acidifying milk with citric acid, but people did want to make sure that it was um, applicable to the New Zealand system. So there are definitely some things that people have got to be careful about. Um, be- when you do acidify the milk, um, we have to have a way of actually measuring the pH because the actual pH is important. Um, if you drop it to a pH of four, um, then it will kill Embovis in an hour. If you drop it to a pH of five, it will kill Embovis within eight hours. Now, once you get to four, it starts becoming unpalatable. And even at five, um, some animals might kind of not be super keen on it. The other thing is, is that it will separate so it does need to be gently resuspended once it's been acidified and if you're too vigorous about it um so if you're mixing it heaps mm. well effectively you're going to make a big chunk of um casein and whey so um there's definitely some practical things that have to be thought through before we can do it but if it was somebody that's um wanting to do it on a fairly small scale that is quite easy it's more the the really big systems where they're sending milk through hoses and pumps that mm-hmm. there's a concern that you would end up with um, basically congealed milk protein and and fat on the inside of the, the tubes and the calves would be getting way a lot of whey mm-hmm. and, and less actual really of the really good stuff yeah so the short answer is that we're working on it and I would say that within the next couple of weeks there should be a lot more um, practical information out there but it does look like it's going to be um, a good option for a lot of people okay all right so movement of animals between farms we're talking about movement of milk between farms let's talk about uh, within your own farm what's the risk and, and what precautions should neighbors be taking with animals between farms that are side by side uh, the short of it is that you want to um, remove the possibilities of cattle of unknown health origin coming into contact with yours. Mm-hmm. So that'll look different on uh, each farm, but essentially it, it is along the lines of double boundary fences, so run a hot wire a couple of metres out from your boundary fence from your neighbour's mm-hmm. a good idea, ensure it's got good power running to it. Um, if you are moving animals on your farm, I would say this is a real wake-up call to do really good record keeping. Mm-hmm. You want to know what paddock they went into on what day, how long they stayed and where they went to there. But not only that, the other animals on your farms that may have come into contact mm-hmm. with them or could come in contact with them as well. Good records is king. So first things first, um, separation. I think there's another podcast with Richard Laven. He talks about separation in space and or time from neighbour stock. If you can do both, ideal. Yep. Um, Time next, but if you have to have animals side by side across a boundary fence, that two metre barrier with an electric fence is considered enough? Yeah. It's essentially to stop the nose to nose contact, okay. is what it comes comes down to. Yep. Yeah. But it might be simpler just to phone call to the neighbours and avoid having the mobs on each side of the fence. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. If you can have a, a whole empty paddock between the two of them, that's probably considered the gold standard of what you practically mm-hmm. can do on a farm. But that then applies, and you touched on it there, within the farm. If there is, and again, I, I know some of the detail has to be worked out, but it could potentially be useful if you've got good record keeping and good biosecurity practice within your farm, keeping mobs separate or... or um, 
a, a, a way that it would probably work on some farms if you've got your breeding herd and you're also bringing in fattening animals as well. So those two herds should be kept separate mm -hmm. from a biosecurity standpoint and you should have records that actually prove that you've kept them separate for the entire time that those animals have been on the farm. That way if there's a problem in one herd, you've got a better chance of not having an impact to the other herd. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that's now become crucial if you talk about um, the fact that they're moving into an eradication phase. So prior to that it was you, know, you didn't want the disease to get from one herd to another, um, but now you want it because you don't want to have both herds required to be eradicated. Do we have, I mean, and this might be one we're not, we can't answer yet, but people have, how do you prove that in your own farm? Does just signing or saying, hey look, they never come into contact, but what record keeping are you talking about? Um, again, it's that, that more and more formal is better. I would say you would struggle to get a verbal mm -hmm. uh, record as being um, sufficient. As a minimum, you would have them written down, either you know, in the most basic in your day diary saying what you've been doing everywhere. Um, there are some excellent software packages out there for tracking movements within farm. Um, farm IQ's got a system, for instance, that will do that for you. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I'd be looking for some sort of formal record keeping written down and ideally, you know, both electronic and paper. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, separation in space and or time with neighbours, separation in space and or time within your farm with your different your cows, but what about, um, we're recording this on 1st of June, Gypsy Day, what about animals walking past your gate? Yeah, so it's actually, um, from the sheep and beef farmer's point of view, it's the same message. So, for instance, you would attempt to not have your cattle on your roadside paddocks during Gypsy Day. Mm -hmm. um, so you'd have them the paddock back. But again, if you can't do that, again, it's that two metre barrier fence you want. You want to make sure that the entrances to your farm are shut. Mm -hmm. You also want to make sure that all your staff know what you're doing and also why. Um, so everybody in the farm needs to be, be up to speed on it. Mm -hmm. And if you're moving, what, it doesn't matter whether they're dairy cattle, beef cattle, beef cows or whatever, if you're moving your animals on a road, you probably want to be talking to the people you're going past. Or? Most definitely, you know. Aside from good, good biosecurity, that's good neighbourly stuff mm. to do is to let everybody on your path know that you're coming, roughly when you're going to be coming past their property. So again, they can actually implement their own biosecurity procedures to keep you both safe. Mm -hmm. But um, we don't always uh, we don't just move cattle on foot along roads; they move on stock trucks. So, and they're going between a lot of farms. And I know you know MPI are trying to work with with the trucking industry, but um, should we be disinfecting trucks when they're coming up the driveway onto our place? I mean, just how important is that? Um, so, the actual trucks themselves are considered a relatively small risk, mm -hmm. and if if they were of a heightened risk, e.g., they could come from an infected property or a notice of direction or a restricted property, there is disinfecting protocols mm -hmm. that those trucks have to follow anyhow. Um, in terms of the arrangement you may have with your trucking company, look, they're under time and commercial constraints too, and to ask them to disinfect between every mob is probably not practical and it's probably not warranted. But having said that, um, ideally you don't want to be sharing your truck with other animals mm -hmm and at least a hose down um, before they come onto your property would be expected, and again, yep. before leaving. Mm -hmm. 
and again it's it'll be the inside of the truck mm. that is the the risk as opposed to you know muck and sort of things on the outside i mean from just general biosecurity you know clean on clean off of everything makes sense um but for embovis um people shouldn't panic as much about um, muck on the outside of the truck it's it's the the snot and the slobber mm. on the inside of the truck that would be um more of a risk yep and again if you if you have the chance those of you who are listening to this to listen to the podcast with richard laven from massey university he spent quite some time on this about we were focused on winter grazing so obviously movement of animals and into yards on stock trucks and those sorts of things and how we can separate them in space and time i mean one of his ideas was to have a set of temporary yards so you're not using your, your permanent yards and therefore the risk of um like say contact with mucus and snot and all the stuff from previous animals wasn't as high what about uh buying and breeding bulls so this is another um issue with animals coming on and a fairly specific one but um talking about other sales and tracking those how big a risk are buying in beef bulls I think that um, it's important to remember that, you know, in this whole grand scheme of things, we've got a lot of people that are being impacted, like their whole business is being impacted. And I'd say that a lot of people that are rearing bulls are probably very nervous at the moment about um, what is going to happen. And so I think that it's important to say that um, making a blanket statement like don't buy bulls and just do A, B, um, I don't think that's warranted. Um, I think that knowing the source of where you're purchasing bulls from, and by that I mean, I mean if you can purchase bulls from a, a farm where they were, were raised and you know they never left, that's probably you know the best that you can expect and you can get information about that farm. Um, or, you know, again, the more movements that those bulls have, have had and the, the exposure to more um, other groups of cattle, the higher the risk they will pose. But again, you've got to look at it, each situation being different. Um, I would say that um, yearling bulls, obviously that, you know, if you get them um, and they haven't been exposed to another herd, they're going to be the lowest risk. Um, and unless you're going to keep them for the following year, I would say that, you know, you need to send send them to slaughter. Mm-hmm. Um, they shouldn't be sent out to mate with um, a herd and then be brought back um, mixed up with a whole bunch of other bulls that have been on a whole bunch of other properties and then be sent out again the following year. Um, that's just a recipe for disaster in terms of biosecurity so um, I know that that's a practice that has been used Mm -hmm. but I would definitely strongly encourage people to to avoid that Mm -hmm. Um, that's just putting putting your herd at risk really the other thing too is if the bulls are coming from the dairy industries it's possible that that herd that they're coming from will have bulk milk test results Mm -hmm. so if they've got the bulk milk test results ask to see them or ask Mm -hmm. what the results were and if they're coming back clear, that's obviously a lower risk than from a property where you don't know what the results yep. are. And from the cattle industry, they won't have those results. And because of the reasons we spoke about the difficulty testing, it's unlikely and unpractical for them to have an Embovis clear test result mm. on that industry. But again, you're looking at the general health status of the herd that they've mm. come from. That's going to be your best indicator. So ask those questions. Ask about levels of mastitis and or lameness and the other 
uh, in bovis symptoms. Good. Well, actually, that was just where we were going with some of this, but just on the, the buying in breeding bulls and so on, there's um, online there's actually some specific information around that for people they want to go and find that. We'll put the web address in the description of this podcast for people to find it. Um, and that was where we were going with the next one. Was um, We've talked about important movement recording, but even before that's the step of having some assurance around the, where the, the, the animals or milk that you're picking up or buying is coming from. So every dairy herd in the country's had milk tests? It will be the definitely the, the spring calving herds. That mm-hmm. will all have been completed. Um, any herds that were autumn calving, mm-hmm. I would suspect it'll be ongoing mm-hmm. at the moment um, and then definitely we're going to have you know another round for, mm-hmm. for spring calving again so um, and anyone I've had a couple people ask me about that the um, a dairy farmer should be able to access their result through their processor mm-hmm. their dairy company um, they would have received an email um, telling them you know all clear basically so if they can't find that email then they need to contact the, the dairy company and they'll be able to provide them with that mm-hmm. um, result because we have been suggesting that people ask for those results and so yeah a lot of um, dairy farmers need to um, to dig those up yep. I mean the mountain of emails that we all get <laughs> yeah but and there's no um I mean, it's up. It's the dairy farmers' information, but there's certainly no restriction on them sharing it if they choose to. No, no, not at all. Um, they can certainly share that. Mm. Yep. But on the flip side, there's no. It's not public information that somebody can't go and find it themselves. They, it, That's right. It's up to the the dairy farmer to disclose that that information. Although, to be honest, anyone that has not had all clear negative results is going to be under some kind of movement mm. restriction so um, it shouldn't be a, a big issue. Mm. And so that leads on to buying in from other beef farms. Um, we can talk about you know what's their health status, have they had all the issues you, and you touched on it there a bit Paul. Um, the underlying issue though is if they are still permitted to sell animals it's an extremely unlikely with the tracing that's gone on to, that they are at, at any significant risk of having embovis is that absolutely correct. A fair way to absolutely it? correct you know you're not going to accidentally buy an infected animal from a property that knows they're infected mm. just not going to happen so your only risk is around any properties that don't know they've got it mm-hmm. um, and again from the tracing that's done you know we're talking about a small number of properties and asking those general health questions is is a good way of lowering the risk even mm. further. Because a lot of the, you know, we're talking about embovis, but there are questions you should be asking about all sorts of yeah. you know, diseases and, and zoonoses and various things. We just want to know, what are, are we buying good, healthy stuff? Yeah, most definitely. This, this I can see this will be just another one of those questions mm. that you do ask mm-hmm. and that you should be asking before any animals come onto your mm. property. Yeah, and understand the providence of them. Silver lining to a cloud, I guess, in some ways. It's sharpening up a lot of um, practice on farms around um, provenance of stock, record keeping, and, and just making sure you're getting what you're paying for effectively. Dead right. Um, and again, this one, I don't know whether you can talk about it, but in, in terms of the tracing, and we've talked about the issues with it, the infected properties that have turned up so far, there's been no, um, as far as I'm aware, out of the blue ones that... that no, that, that's the that's the um, the wonderful thing at the moment. You can call it a wonderful thing. Is that all infections are traced back to single point? There's been no left field stuff where they can't trace an infected property back to the single source. So 
that's what's actually probably making eradication, you know, a, an attempted eradication possible. Yep. And it also means, as you touched on, that if a property is allowed to sell animals, the chance that they've been an untraced or undetected infection is extremely, yep. not nil, but very, very low. Yep, very, yep. very low. Yep. Good right. All right. Look, we've covered a fair bit, and um, there's, there's a lot of information online. Both Dairy NZ, Beef and Lamb New Zealand, and MPI have a, have a lot of stuff on online. So we're going to refer to some of that. But I, is there anything we've missed? What have we you thought we'd cover today that we haven't covered? I think um, we probably should make a mention about raw milk. We have mm-hmm. talked about it quite a bit, but I think that. Um, People probably do need to to stop selling it. Um, if you've got raw milk and you know for whatever reason you're wanting to sell it, if you if you think about it, even if your herd is clear and you sell it on to um, a calf rearer, and that calf rearer purchases milk from multiple sources, and for some reason that calf rearer gets caught up in the response, because you've sold the milk, you are going to get involved in the response somehow there will be testing and and that sort of thing done so i think from that perspective to protect yourself um the small amount of money that you'll get from selling raw milk as opposed to disposing of it is probably um it's probably not worth it not Uh worth the risk um and and for purchasing it as well um I'd say that if you are going to purchase or or feed raw milk, um, if you aren't going to acidify or even if you are um, not feeding milk from cows under treatment, so that's treatment for mastitis, antibiotic treatment for any other um, ailment, that sort of thing, those cows are under significant stress and are more likely to shed bacteria. So um, raw milk that is um, basically being sold for another reason other than being from cows under treatment, is going to be less risk than than bread milk, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, although keeping in mind that, particularly around calving time, all um, all cows are under some stress, and so it it will be um, a risk, and definitely recommend treating it. Mm-hmm. Paul, anything you want to add? No, I think we've covered it off pretty well, actually. Cool. So we've done the podcast, and several times I've talked to where there's more detailed information. What are the key sources of information if people want to go look up or find a bit more about some of the topics we've covered? Um, in terms of online, you've probably mentioned the big three, which mm-hmm. is MPI, Dairy NZ, and Beef and New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Those websites have got extensive information, um, specifically on MBOVIS and also on the wider general biosecurity as well. So. If you're online, um, those would be my first points of call. We've got to the stage now, though, where we've put a lot of information out about MBOVIS and sometimes finding the discrete piece of information that fits Mm. your farming system can be hard to find. So if that's the case, I'd encourage you to either contact the likes of myself or your local extension manager Mm -hmm. and ask them to source that information for you. Yep, that's for Beef and Lamb New Zealand, the yep. field team, and it'll be the same for Dairy NZ, I presume, with the CEOs, the consulting officer team. They're yep, absolutely. Standing by waiting to take the call. Yes, I'm sure, yep, they'd be happy yep. to, and um, the other option is to um, email or call the 0800 mm-hmm. number, and um, and your question will get answered. Um, it'll get put through to... Um, um, someone that will help answer it, and if they can't answer it, then they'll contact someone else who will answer it. So it yep. will get answered at some point. 
No, good. And I know, yeah, for both Dairy NZ and Beef and Lamb New Zealand, it's the same. We're not relying on just online or email or anything like that. If you want to talk to somebody, there's the field team, or there's the 0800 numbers in both cases, who may not have the answer, but will certainly put you on to, to somebody who can. But one of the other things, you know, we talked just before about how this has been, a, I guess, a general biosecurity wake-up call. Um, and, Paul, I think you've got it sitting in front of you. We just went and got it. Um, I know uh, Beef and Lamb certainly, and I think DRNZ have been running some bo- just biosecurity workshops, obviously with MB Bovis Focus, but a chance to talk about biosecurity generally. What's they carrying on, or are they going to be more yes, of those? Yes, the, um, so MB Bovis was the lightning rod to actually start off a series of general biosecurity mm-hmm. workshops. And sort of what's rolled out of that is that there's been already, I can't even pick up the number, but there'll be 30 odd biosecurity roadshows run already. There's another half dozen I know that are ready to roll out in mm-hmm. North Island over the next um, two to three weeks. So if you want to get face to face and actually talk to somebody about that, mm-hmm. they're a great um, opportunity to do so. To find that out, you go to the Beef and Lamb website and look under the events page um, for your region and you'll see any workshops that are there. There's also a lot of written resources, and if if a farmer does nothing else at the end of this podcast, I'd encourage you to go and find on either the Dairy NZ or Beef and Lamb website the um, Biosecurity Warrant of Fitness Sheet. Mm -hmm. So it's a simple one-page A4 sheet that you as a farmer can use and just run down, and it's a tick-box exercise to get you actually thinking about biosecurity on your farm more formally. And then if you want to take it further... There's a, a comprehensive book called the Dry Stock Biosecurity Guidelines, which gives you the seven relatively simple steps you can take to lower your biosecurity risk across the gamut of threats that they are, not just just in bovis. Mm-hmm. Excellent. All right, and you just the one last thing I want to touch on there before we wrapped up too is you talked about you know people. Uh, worrying about these thinking about these things we've talked about the the day-to-day physical management of the farm the animals and that sort of thing but ultimately it's all about people and this is pretty stressful for people it's a it's a big deal it's a big issue um if people are worried themselves their partner family member friend neighbor there's some support there as well what's the where do we go your probably first port of call we're looking at is the rural support trust Uh and beef and lamb has actually um, provided some extra resourcing to them to, to help. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Beef and Lamb field team uh, are not trained in, in perhaps some of the counselling, so we recognise that Rural Support Trust, that's their game, and they'll they'll um, hook you up with the right people that you mm-hmm. need to. Great. Mm-hmm. All right. Ashley, anything to add to that? I think that just um, the old saying of it's okay to not be okay um, and to definitely reach out if, if you're struggling... Um, you know, don't suffer in silence and, and definitely reach out because there are lots of people that are willing to listen and to help you um, if you've got some, some issues. I suppose the other side of the coin, and it may not be popular, um, but is to remember that MPI, even though it's a three-letter um, acronym, that it is actually made up of people um, mm. that have actually been working quite hard. Um, yep. And whether you agree with the job they've done or not um they have worked really hard and um just to to remember that sometimes yeah. as well no it's a good point to wrap up on whether it's beef and lamb dairy and z mpi um or the wider industry if people want to help want to deal with this want to get through and um, but ultimately that, that that means putting your hand up and asking or ringing or getting in touch but uh, everybody i've come across and all those three have been want to do their best and want to help and, and now we've made the decision to eradicate this they're um that's what we're all working towards so look 
I think we'll wrap it there. Unless there's anything pressing we've forgotten. I think we've covered a lot. And there's heaps of it online, as I said. So look, um, Paul McCauley and Ashley Dobson, thank you very much for your time. And to those of you who have listened in, thank you very much. Uh, look in the description below this for links to some of the key information. And um, if there's anything we haven't covered you'd like to see us cover in another podcast, please get in touch and let me know. Thank you very much for your time.